Uh, good morning and welcome. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Second uh, John, we'll read that chapter as you're turning there. Uh, if you noticed, uh, there was a mention in the bulletin uh, that on the project we have a shortfall of $30,000. And so uh, we're asking you to pray, and maybe if uh, the Lord puts it upon your heart uh, to contribute to that, uh, we would certainly appreciate it. You know, when you get into these projects, there's always going to be a cost overrun. Have you ever had any uh, project done in your house or your ha house built? Um, there's always the original estimate, and that's about what it is, an estimate. And when you get into the project, all of a sudden, uh, there's all these additional costs, and that's what we have uh, discovered. Um, but we know our God is faithful. Amen? Uh, we're, we're not going to put a big red thermometer up here and harangue you from week to week and uh, let you know that we've almost hit our goal. Uh, we're going to trust the Lord, but I think it's important you know that, that, that you know there's a need there, and if the Lord puts it on your heart to help out in any way, um, God bless you. Uh, Cheryl, do you know the um, Rachel's relative? Do you know the name of that young gal? Uh, Rachel, who's in our worship team, Rachel fits you, you all know her. Uh, she has a nephew or a cousin. Okay, a cousin. Okay, it's, it's okay. Uh, down, Shelby? Uh, down in Florida. Uh, she went to school and uh, never came home missing. So uh, let's keep Shelby uh, in our prayers that the Lord would mercifully uh, intervene. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray for that in a moment. Also, uh, uh, President Trump designated today uh, as a day for, of prayer uh, for uh, Texas. And, um, and we pray that the Lord would just uh, move in a very powerful way to uh, save lives uh, out of this whole menagerie and mess. Uh, God has a way of bringing blessing out of blastings. He has a way of bringing beauty out of ashes. So many people have lost their homes. So, um, you know, sometimes uh, when we have periods of great loss, uh, they also, too, in a spiritual way, become periods of great gain as God ministers to our hearts and does something for us spiritually. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it takes that. Sometimes it takes a crisis. Sometimes it takes some great loss in order for us to look up. And when we do, he wonderfully meets with us. Uh, we're in 2 John, a uh, little epistle of 2 John, and uh, verse 1. John writing says, The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not I, only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. As we receive commandment from the Father, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which you, we have heard, or we have rather from the beginning, that we love one another. And, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. 
uh, that as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world uh, who do not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Uh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Uh, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ uh, does not have God. Uh, he who abides in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ has both the, both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Uh, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, uh, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we are so thankful. We, we see a mention over and over again, Lord, uh, in this text about truth. We, we thank you for truth. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given to us. Father, you've given us your son, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, uh, on this day, Father, we think of uh, the many souls uh, in the state of Texas and Houston, Lord, that have been driven from their homes. Lord, many people have lost everything they have. But Lord, in their loss, we pray if they don't know you, that Lord, you'd reach out. You would reach out. We pray that, Father, you would motivate and mobilize the church. Lord, uh, we know there are many uh, Christian organizations, uh, even such as our own, uh, that are putting together teams to go down and work and help and to do whatever we can do. So, Lord, we, uh, we pray for opportunities to minister to those that have had great loss. Lord, uh, we pray that you would bring encouragement and comfort. Um, and we pray, Lord, uh, that uh, your Holy Spirit would, would reach in to hearts and lives at this incredibly difficult time for so many people. Lord, um, we, uh, we just pray and lift them before you. And Father, we want to bring this, uh, this young lady, Shelby, before you. And Lord, we don't know Shelby or her family, her parents know you. But Lord, we pray for the blessed Holy Spirit to encourage them, to minister to them at this time. And Lord, we pray that Shelby could be brought home. And we pray she could be brought home safely. Lord, uh, doesn't sound good, doesn't look good, but we know that you're the God of the impossible. And Lord, we pray for your intervention. We pray for your work and for your help, for your grace uh, at this particular time. And Father, uh, bless your word, we pray. Uh, speak, we pray, to us individually. Lord, as only you can. Lord, I thank you for those that are here today. Thank you for the children in the ministry, children's ministry. And Lord, uh, we open our hearts to you today. And Lord, uh, on this holiday weekend, we're, we're thankful for your mercies, for your grace, uh, for your favor. Um, Lord, not only to us, Lord, to our families, Lord, to our churches that are represented, and Father, to our country. Lord, uh, we realize that as a nation, Lord, we're not where we need to be. And we look to you. We look to you, Lord. We ask, Lord, uh, that you would do a mighty work. Lord, we need an awakening today. 
an awakening in your church, and an overflow of that, Lord, into the culture, into the society. We long for that. We need that. We call upon you, Lord, that you might do that. Start in us, Lord. We need it. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I forgot to mention that uh, Matt and Lisa Quirk went in today. Her water broke this morning. And so we're going to have another little quirk running around. And uh, so keep those guys in prayer. Uh, It could be a long day. You never know with those kinds of things. Uh, This morning, uh, we see here in our text, and we entitled it Walking in Truth, uh, borrowed that from the text, and we see that term a number of times mentioned in here. And of course, as Christians, we are no stranger to the word of, to the word, uh, uh, of truth. Uh, we're commissioned to be speakers of truth. Uh, uh, Paul tells us we're to speak the truth in love. And I think it's very important because as we look at our culture, I think there's a crisis for truth. I don't think that's anything that's, uh, in a sense, new for us. Uh, and it's important to be, I think, communicating through our lives, you know, not only what we say, but particularly through our life and through our behavior, uh, the importance of truth. Because remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what we're talking there about is about biblical truth. We're talking about spiritual truth. When we know that, it just, it sets our lives free from all the things that would bind us uh, and ultimately destroy us. Now, John at this point refers to himself as the elder Um, And he's the only surviving apostle. Um, He's probably very close to 100 years old at this particular point. And we know that in professional sports, when you hit the age of 35, you're an old man. Uh, I can uh, remember many different times, uh, um, you know, individuals. uh, um, Our company captain uh, in the the service was a 30-year-old guy, and he was the old man. And, uh, and you're oftentimes in sports, you're retired off at 35. But you know, in the Lord, you may be just starting at 35. And uh, the beautiful thing about Christ is, you know, when you look at guys like uh, uh, Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Caleb, uh, these guys, you know, were in their 70s and 80s uh, before God really began to work in Jacob. We're studying Jacob, actually, on uh, Wednesday night. And we realize that uh, he's at a point of around 70 years old. Uh, when, uh, and of course, we're going to talk this week, uh, um, and we're going to be in chapter 32, which is really the turning point for Jacob's life. But he's really uh, about seven years old there. And, and so we find out actually with the Lord, your age will never disqualify you. However old you are, well, I'm too old. Uh, you know, the world kind of retires us off at a certain age. But uh, for many people, that may be just the beginning. Uh, and any time that we're, you know, in the mood and, and in a way we're, we're willing to let God use us, it doesn't matter what our age is. Uh, God, we see in the Bible, God has used young people. Uh, we see in the Bible, God has used very old people as well. And so John identifies himself simply here as the elder. And he probably uh, is the elder uh, of the church at this particular time. We know at one time that he was a, a pastor um, and then a bishop there in the area of Ephesus. But he writes here uh, in, in verse 1 to the elect lady and to her children. And there's been a discussion about who he's really addressing there. You know, is he speaking you know, to a person, to a woman, and to her family? Or is he really speaking to the church? I think it's actually an irrelevant kind of debate. I think the fact of the matter is he's speaking to the church. Uh, he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. Uh, and he expresses here his love to all those who basically know the truth. 
And the thing here about um, when we talk about in, in, you know, love and truth, and we see how John kind of mixes those terms so often, because sometimes I think we get out of balance. We can get out of balance sometimes you know, in the area you know, of maybe speaking truth in the way that we speak it. And sometimes we get out of balance in the area of love where we become sort of just sentimental and lovey-dovey and we forget about truth. And when we see in the Bible, these things are not separated, they're not divorced, Uh, they're actually, uh, you know, placed together. We see that John uh, speaks so often about these particular things. Uh, And real and genuine love, you know what, it's based on truth. You ever had tried to have a loving relationship that's not based on truth? It doesn't last very long, does it? And sometimes people will use the term love, um, you know, to communicate, uh, you know, maybe a certain kind of sentiment or a certain kind of feeling. Uh, but if it's not really, you know, if, if, you know, if our love isn't really based upon truth, and I, I don't think that you can really know truth and understand truth and live truth unless you're a believer, unless you really truly know the, the ultimate personification of truth, and that truth is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, he's the Word made flesh. And remember in John 14, 6, he, he basically identifies himself. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We find that the truth, the truth is basically personified in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is no real genuine love unless it's really based on truth. I remember... <laughs> You know, watching, and of course, uh, I came of age in, in the, you know, the, the, age, you know, the, the hippie movement uh, back in the 1960s, and um, there was a whole bunch of, you know, people that I knew from Philadelphia that kind of went out there, you know, looking for, uh, you know, love and all that sort of thing, you know, all, all the things that were being basically um, bandied about you know, in this hippie movement that everybody was, you know, looking for, and so many people uh, migrated out there. And I remember uh, just a couple years ago seeing a special about it. It was a special about the Ashbury and Haight in San Francisco, California, which was ground zero for the hippie movement back in the 60s. And they did an incredible expose because everybody came out there because all the songs, I remember the songs, the songs were powerful. If you remember the songs, some of the songs back then, uh, they were just sort of, they, they, they sort of just were sort of, hook you and pull you, uh, you know, in that whole, you know, as, as everybody was, you know, uh, chanting peace and hope and love and all these sorts of things. Uh, and so many people migrated out there. But when they exposed really was going out, going, going on out there, so many people went out there and they got ripped off. They got taken advantage of. They got used. Uh, it was anything but true love or free love. Uh, and even, they even highlighted the fact that a number of people were murdered uh, as they went out there naively looking for, for love and looking, you know, for truth, but really simply finding a love, or excuse me, finding a lie. Because really without uh, Jesus Christ, how can we really discern truth? How can we really know truth if we don't have the Spirit of God leading us and helping us uh, and protecting us? <clears throat> so verse 2, he says, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us. Uh, So to speak of love without uh, truth is really simply a fallacy. You know, John speaks more of love than any of the apostles. He also, too, he speaks of truth more than anybody else as well. Uh, In his gospel, he speaks of truth 20 times. In these first four verses 
of this little epistle, he speaks of it five times. In the third epistle, he speaks of it six different times. And so he tells us here, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And again, that's because the truth, the word of God, is abiding in our lives. Grace, mercy, and, uh, grace, mercy, excuse me, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So again, these blessed attributes uh, are bestowed upon us for those of us who walk in truth and love. That's the beautiful thing that you find it so often that the Spirit of God in a spontaneous kind of a way as we go through our lives because of, because of the work of God in our hearts that he begins to just express himself. You know, uh, um, at, at one particular time uh, as an early uh, believer in the circles that I was in, um, there was this, you know, this, all this emphasis on you know, the gifts of the Spirit um, which, which it's legitimate, the fact of the matter, we have gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but the beautiful thing is I discovered is that when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're walking in truth, they're happening. They're happening in a, in a uh, beautiful, spontaneous kind of a way. That's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. Because uh, the, the, the way it was treated, you know, at least early on in the circle that I was in, uh, everything was sort of announced that, okay, here's, uh, here's prophecy, here's this, and here's that. But you know, when I tell you God is working in a wonderful, awesome way in the hearts and lives of his people, when there's truth in us, when the Spirit of God is at work in us, those things are automatic. They're, they're just happening. Um, like this morning, prophecy is happening. Why? Because we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the Word of God. The gifts of the Spirit are working as we gather together, as we fellowship, as there's body ministry taking place. There may be a word of wisdom. There may be a word of knowledge. Uh, there may be some type of encouragement that comes to you. There may be the gift of mercy uh, that may be expressed simply uh, when we're gathering. When we're gathering, God is wonderfully working in our midst. And, and, I, and, I, and I think it's wonderful to get to a point where it's just sort of happening in a sort of uh, supernaturally natural way, uh, where it's sort of a spontaneous work where God is, you know, uh, moving among us in the things that we say, the things that we do, the caring and the sharing that we have for one another. And so he's speaking about that these things will be with you. Uh, now in verse 4, <clears throat> you know, it's important to realize that everybody's life, we're modeling something, some type of lifestyle, some type of behavior. Everybody models something, don't they? Isn't that why when we, as we're growing up, um, in, in particular as children, you know, we're looking for some kind of hero. We're looking for somebody that models some kind of lifestyle, you know, that's very maybe powerful or very attractive to us in some kind of way. And that's why every summertime we have the hero series of movies. Did you ever notice that? Every summer we, we have some, a whole new genre of hero-type movies because we're just looking for somebody. Uh, I, I think part of it's a messianic complex. You know, we're looking for somebody to come and help us, someone to come and deliver us. Someone, you know, uh, you know to, to, to come to our rescue. And in a sense, that's what God has done. He has done that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I think that th that, that whole messianic element lives in people. And that's what resonates. And that's why <clears throat> we find, uh, even though we know the Lord, it's not wrong to go see one of the latest, you know, hero-type uh, movies that are out there. But the fact of the matter is we see that this is uh, something that's uh, really, I think, speaking to a need, you know, in our culture, 
in the hearts and lives of people. They're looking for someone to, to come to be their rescuer. God has placed that. You know, he has placed that, um, that, I think, that messianic hope, you know, in the lives of people. And that's why it's important. I think we need to be really vocal, don't we, about our faith in Christ. As we look around at our culture, the need is tremendous. And oftentimes we don't realize how needy people are until we engage them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we realize that we see that. Uh, you know, there's an exchange. Someone's opening their heart, you know, to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here, he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. And, and so, uh, um, you know, John, as he's writing to this particular uh, elect group, this church there, he says uh, that along the way, he's bumped into some of their members, some of their people that are walking in truth. And, and realize it or not, we are preaching with our lives. Our lives are always communicating. You know, the only gospel somebody may ever experience is you, is me. What we say and what we communicate to our culture. We, we are preaching with our lives. The world's always preaching, too. We, we, we've, we, we see that. They don't say they are, but they really are. You know, we use, we use the term in a biblical or a religious kind of a sense uh, but the fact of the matter is, the world is always preaching their gospel. They're, they're always telling their story. Uh, they're always, uh, uh, you know, pointing away from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be pointing to him. So our words and our actions are really going to have a mentoring effect, much more than we realize, you know, on others around us. And it's, I think it's important to us that we're not just giving lip service to the Bible, because people are not going to follow so much what we say as much as what we do. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon said this, kind of respect what uh, this man, uh, his writings. He said this, a man's life is always more forceful than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. In his life and doctrine, if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers uh, accept his practice and reject his preaching, and how true that is. And it's very important that we're really communicating out there the, the gospel, not just reading it, you know, not just studying it, not just keeping it, you know, hidden away in our hearts, but we're living it out. We're living the gospel, the truth of the word of God out there to our culture because so many people um, are really truly in need. Now, he commends them for walking in the truth, but, you know, I also think it's walking in the Spirit. I, I think they're really one and the same thing. Remember over in John's uh, little epistle there, the first epistle there, and I think it's in chapter 1, and I think it's verse, uh, well, verse 6 in chapter 1 through 9, when he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this walking in the truth and walking in the light, it means that there's this ongoing fellowship with the Lord and that there's a, there's a confession and there's a cleansing. That that's the beautiful thing of walking in truth and walking in the light. Uh, and, and again, you know, the light is maybe a little bit different of a metaphor, um, but it's when the light of the truth of the word of God comes into our lives and touches our life in some way, and there's something that isn't right, that there's a recognition of that. 
I think first of all, when, when, when the Holy Spirit is maybe indicating something in our life that needs to change, uh, something that's not pleasing to him, I think first and foremost we have to admit it. I, I think we have to admit that before we confess that. And as we confess it, then there's cleansing. This is fellowship. This is fellowship. This is why sometimes we may not be able to really have fellowship with one another. When fellowship is broken on the vertical, it's automatically interrupted on the horizontal. I call it the cross principle. When we're right on the vertical, when we're in fellowship with him. Uh, that's why sometimes uh, maybe if we've noticed uh, maybe a good friend, a good Christian friend, when uh, we have a uh, good conversation and it's in the spirit and, it's, and, it's, and there's a healthy relationship on both our parts, there's a reciprocation, there's a beautiful exchange. But then you get together later, some other time, with that brother or with that sister. And all of a sudden, it's like there's something there. There's something there. Fellowship has probably been broken. Fellowship has probably been broken on the vertical because when it's not on the vertical, it's not on the horizontal. And we need to remember that. And, um, and make sure it isn't us. You know, make sure it isn't on our part uh, that the fellowship has been interrupted. But see, healthy fellowship takes place as we're walking in the light, as we're moving through life, moving through our experience. Uh, God is speaking to us. He's, he's enlightening us. And if there's something there, there's some dark area in our life that we're confessing it, and there's a beautiful cleansing. It can be, it can be as easy as that, or it can be much more difficult if we don't allow that process and we're not really in that place of walking in the light, walking in the truth. Um, because I think also, too, that's going to, if anything, that's going to make us really um, effective with those outside of Christ. Um, that we'll really be able to, because I know that when my heart's not right with the Lord, man, I, 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 it's like I don't care about anybody else. I tend to be focused on myself. Uh, but when, again, we're right with him and in fellowship with him, all of a sudden there's a sharing, there's a caring, there's, there's a desire um, to, you know, to reach out and to help other people, to be involved in other people's lives. And, um, and that's just simply, a, I think, a, 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 an automatic fruit uh, of this whole matter, you know, of fellowship as we know it. Now, in verse 5, uh, he, he speaks to us as if he's speaking here to the, to the bride of Christ. And uh, he says, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You know, the thing about truth is, truth has, truth has power, and, and it has to be harnessed. Truth is a powerful thing. And sometimes I've seen that, that the truth can be used in a harsh way. Have you ever seen it happen? Have anybody ever screamed at you something that was truthful? but it was done so harshly that you, you can't receive it. That's why it's important. The Bible says what? Speak the truth in love. See, the truth is the facts, but the love is the temperament. And it's very important that, that those two are married together because you know, we, we, we find out that the truth 
the, the, you know, the, 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 the truth is a wonderful thing, uh, but when truth and love is coupled together, married together, there's a dynamic transformational aspect to it. You know, um, you know truth with, love without truth is sentimental and it's naive. And uh, I, was, uh, I, was work, I was reading on my notes last night, and the television was on the background. And there was this commercial, and I've heard it a couple different times, and right away I cued in on the tune, because the tune was a 60s tune. And it was by the Youngbloods. And I don't, if you heard the commercial, uh, I, I forget what the commercial's about, because I'm so distracted by the music. Uh, as soon as I hear the music, I, I, you know, it's like you go to another place, you know, kind of a thing. And it's a, it's a relatively new commercial. I've heard this about three different times. And, and so... Uh, I said, yeah, I know that song. I forget the group. The group was the Youngbloods. And it was this. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together and try to love one another right now. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good. I mean, it's good sentiment. But the fact of the matter is, we just can't do it. <laughs> we don't have the power to do it. And I, and I can remember back then in the, in, in the 60s, everybody was just, you know, trying to be lovey-dovey. And, and look where we are today. <laughs> we were so polarized. We were so polarized in our, in our society, in our culture. Politically, socially. <laughs> See, it's truth and love that, that have a powerful dynamic. That's why... When we speak to people, you know, you have to have the right tone when we minister to people. I, I can walk down the street with the Bible screaming verses at people. What do you think that's going to do? What, what do you think that's going to bear? It's not going to bear much fruit at all, if any fruit at all. So the truth and the love have to be together and when they are, there's a dynamic transformational power that can wonderfully work and change hearts and lives. And that's why uh, he says here in verses that we need to love one another. Remember, it's a, it's, it, that communicates the, the truth of love. When others see that, when others see the love of God at work, I, I've had so many people that don't know Christ uh, over the years come in to church. Uh, and you know what? They, they pick up they pick up on the, I think it's the vibe of the Holy Spirit working in the people. And there's a love there. There's a love. There's a caring. There, there's ministering to one another. And, and, and the unsaved person may just sort of think, well, oh, that's such a wonderful thing. We ought to all do that, shouldn't we? <laughs> you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without giving your life to Christ. It's him in the midst. It's him at work within us. <clears throat> you know, when he speaks about this whole matter of, you know, look at verse 6. Uh, this is love, uh, that we walk according to his commandments. There's the truth, all right? Um, he, he's, he's, he's bonding them together. This is love, that you're walking in truth or walking in the commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, that we should walk in it. And I think when he talks about walking in the truth, he's really talking about experiencing it. You know, not just some kind of abstract idea or, or some kind of abstract concept. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth. And when he comes into our lives, he's the very personification of truth. 
And we need to be experiencing it. Truth, love, the power of that. You know, we talk about the, the, you know, the, the power of truth or love. You know, so often, I think it's demonstrated in one of the most incredible ways by just forgiveness, isn't it? Isn't that one of the big issues of our day in humanity? The human condition? Getting beyond the past? Forgiving? Seems like we're always going to have ample opportunity to forgive somebody, right? Always, always somebody stepping on our toes. Always somebody saying something behind our back. It's just, it's human nature. See, we always have opportunity to express this whole matter of, of love and truth. Now, verse 7, this is one of John's, I think, main concerns. Remember, he's dealing with a very tenacious religious philosophy that had um, come to impact the church of his particular day. And it was sweeping many people away. That's why he's, he's been speaking about this focus about the commandments, the word of God, the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, there's so much deception going on today. More so than ever. I, I think sometimes that we are so impacted and affected by it, it's so pervasive out there, that, that we don't realize how much deception is going on out there. And, 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 it, and, and the devil has a way, I think, of just sort of you know, reaching you know, into our homes like he never has before, reaching into our lives. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. In other words, what that means is simply not accepting the messianic mission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That he's the only Messiah. That's what that means when John speaks about that. It's accepting everything. And again, as Paul says, as the truth is in Jesus, that's our safeguard. You know, be careful particularly in this day and time, because there are so many things that are just out there floating around on the web and on the internet that can be very deceptive. We don't see the group or the person who presents it. But it's something that maybe perhaps some, has some kind of appeal to us. It has a little bit of truth in it. A little bit of truth. But it's got a big fat lie in there as well. Because the lie is the antithesis of the truth. He says this is a deceiver and the Antichrist. See, to reject biblical truth about Jesus Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. It is so pervasive in our culture. It, it is so incredibly pervasive. 
I have to pray at this 9-11 event that we're going to hold in our town. And I have prayed in different situations uh, like that. And oftentimes there, there can be people involved in the politics and the leadership of those kinds of things. And they don't want you to mention the name of Jesus. You can almost pray in any other name. But just mention, don't mention the name of Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the case here for next week. It's, it's not. I have no restrictions. So pray it's a wonderful prayer. I, I don't want to turn it into a big preaching prayer. Nevertheless, I want to be able to pray in a way that honors Christ. And I tell you what, if I really prayed what I want to pray, <laughs> that our country would repent. <laughs> but I want to I pray uh, in such a way that's in accordance to the spirit of, uh, of our gathering. But uh, the spirit of Antichrist it's out there. It's in our culture, in our society. It's proliferated all throughout our society. And we have to be careful that we don't allow that to make us knuckle under and cave in. But to, to push back on it, to, to communicate. And again, speaking the truth in love. But sometimes, you know, we want to push back because we sense that spirit and we don't push back with the right tone in the right spirit. And it's important, I think, that we really do that. So this is the deceiver, John says, and the spirit of Antichrist. Now here's his warning in verse 8 to us. He, he says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now the truth warns us here, there are things that, you know what, we worked for our whole life, that we've invested ourselves in, that, you know what, we can lose that. There are some things that we can lose in our spiritual uh, experience. We can lose our purity as a Christian. The world's a very filthy, filthy place. And we need to be very careful what we're accessing, what we're allowing into our lives, into our homes. I get some incredible statistics of what's happened to our grade school children because of the availability of the internet at their fingertips anytime they want it. That um, many of them, I am afraid that they've had their childhood stolen from them. The Bible says we can lose our rewards Paul speaks about that. He says, don't let anyone cheat you or trick you because of some vain philosophy. What is amazing to me is to see Christians that have walked with the Lord for 15, 20, 25 years get carried off. Carried off by some goofy, crazy, spiritual, some new philosophy that blows through like some wind and carries them away. 
And I think what it indicates very simply is that person is not really rooted and grounded in the truth. You know, we can be saved and we could have read our Bible through five times. But you know what? If we stop reading it, we're going to be an easy mark. We will be exploited. Because we need a constant intake of the truth and the word of God into our lives. And that's, what, that's why we're here. But even let me say, you being here is insufficient for you if this is all your intake is. The truth and the word of God needs to be a continual part of our diet where we know that God is speaking to us. I was reading... Uh, Isaiah, was it 28? I think it was Isaiah 28 this week. And Isaiah was saying there that uh, precept upon precept, uh, word upon word, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And isn't that how it works? Here a little, there a little. A little insight here. A little revelation there. As you're reading each and every day. Very seldom do I get some big knockout revelation, quite frankly. <laughs> Usually a little here and a little there. But I think what's important is that we're making ourselves available to the truth, to the Word of God, that God can speak into our lives. I think also, too, one of the things that we can lose is our reputation. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen for men, good men, that have known Christ and walked with Christ for decades, making wrong choices, allowing things in their lives they shouldn't have allowed, the loss of reputation, the loss of their standing in ministry. So sad. That's why we always ask you, please pray for us. Please pray for us. We need, we need protection. We need strength. We want to be faithful. We want to be loyal to the Lord. And I think, you know, as, as, as one of the things that John's touching on here is, is simply finishing well. Finishing well for Christ. There are things that we can lose. And I think any one of us have made a lot of investment in the kingdom of God, haven't we? Service, prayer, involvement, even our financial contributions, all those things are part of our investment that we have made in the kingdom. We need to be, we need to be wise. We need to be careful. Our adversary is much wiser than we. He's been around for a long time. And you know, he never punches his clock out. 24-7. He's always striving to bring down the church to impact the church in a negative way in any way that he can. As I think about that, I say, oh, God, help us. 
God help us. God keep us. And he does. Thank God that he does. The thing about novel spiritual ideas, you know what? They're attractive. They're attractive. Like, for instance, the health and, the, 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 let's just say, the, the wealth theology. That's attractive. God's going to make me rich. And Lord, if you make me really, 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 really rich, I'll give a lot back to you. It, it seems very reasonable, I think, to some people. But it's the wrong focus. You know, most of us sitting here, you know what? You are rich. You are blessed. We, we've experienced the riches of Christ. That's the wealth I need. I want to be rich in mercy. Rich in grace. Rich in compassion and kindness. Rich in love. <laughs> I want to be rich in truth. I don't want to be beggarly in those things. Because so many people that have gone after all the green and all the other stuff, they become beggars so to speak, when it comes to the real riches that we have in Jesus. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ as both a father and a son. And I think that's, you know, where they get caught up in these attractive things out there that are floating around uh, and they, in a sense, they leave Christ. They, they leave the teaching of Christ. Maybe they haven't left physically, but spiritually they've left. And they really have nothing. That's why the Bible says we need to possess the truth and not let it go. What, what did David say in his great repent, uh, penitential psalm, Psalm 51, verse 6? He says, Lord, what you desire is truth in the inward parts. That's what God desires. It's truth. That it's, it's in the inward part, in our lives, that, that we possess the truth. That the truth possesses us. I don't want to hold on to something and lose my grip of truth and of God. That happens, doesn't it, sometimes? Something not necessarily evil can come into someone's life. But something can come into the life that, that we simply begin to just embrace. And before you know it, we can find ourselves. And I think that that's what oftentimes temptation is about. Drawing off our affections, drawing off our love for Christ. could be another relationship. could be a physical object. could be a career choice. And it causes me to lose my grip 
my grip on the Lord, my grip on truth. I think sometimes we can deceive ourselves in thinking, you know what, I know this isn't right, but, but I'm just, I just want to pursue this right now. And then I'll get back. I, 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 you know, I'll get back to where I was spiritually. Don't do it. Don't do it. That getting back may not happen for 20 years. And I think here also in verse 9, this is kind of the rub, isn't it? That if you don't have the teaching of Christ and believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have the Father. I mean, that in a sense rubs all the religions of the world, doesn't it? It's a fact. You don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. You don't have Christ, you don't have God. Because he is God. <laughs> See, what? and again, as much as we can understand the Trinity, God comes to earth in the person of his Son. He comes to earth in the person of his spirit. That's why Jesus could say, and again, we can't fully get our brain around it, but I and the Father are one. And if we don't have the Son, we don't have the Father. Now in verse 10, verse 10 and 11, we're going to wrap this up. And many people have had a question about allowing these people that come knock on your doors. Has it happened lately with anybody? We were, in a, we were just down in Canada in the park, and uh, we saw a couple fine-looking young Mormon boys. They look so clean-cut. They got their khakis and their shirts, their, their um, shirts with their ties, clean-cut haircuts, polite young men. We saw them in the park, and we... We didn't talk to them because they were talking to somebody else, but we prayed. We, we, we prayed that the Lord would set them free from their deception. And I think sometimes we, we can have a question about how do, we, how do we minister to those folks. Well, first, I'll tell you how we do it. We always go out in the front step. And, uh, and talk to them. Uh, one time, uh, I was teaching Bible study in my home, midweek Bible study, and uh, it was a snowy night back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, a good friend of mine came, Pete Gray. Nobody came to that Bible study that night. And I think I was teaching on 1 Timothy chapter 4 about deception. 
in the last days. Had whole study prepared. So Pete and I are sitting there, and it doesn't look like anybody's going to be here tonight, Pete. And there was two young men at the door. And that weather was incredible. We brought them in, sat them down, and I gave them a Bible study. <laughs> it was a perfect setup. It was a perfect setup. Now let's read this, and we'll talk about it a little bit. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus, the truth about Christ, that's what he's talking about, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. In other words, when he say greets him, is basically giving some, some kind of encouragement or some kind of support. Now the ancient world was filled with travelers and itinerant preachers. Uh, and, and so often you would open your home up to them. They would, they would use your home as a base. They would go through the community uh, and, and basically, you know, share the gospel. But also, too, there were cultists, you know, you know where they were deceptive. And so Paul or, or John is saying here, be careful that you don't open up your home to them because they basically they are going to exploit you spiritually. So it's important, I think, also, too, incumbent upon us to know the Bible to a degree. I mean, we have pamphlets. If you have uh, some t we lived in a neighborhood one time. Uh, every, every summer we could count on the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. It, it was just, and so they got to a point where they would come to our house and they'd look at their list and they'd keep walking. Because we almost, you know, we almost got uh, this Jehovah Witness couple. Um, uh, I, I got him to pray with me to receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and uh, so they don't come back anymore to our house. And you may live in that kind of a neighborhood. And so uh, if you're going to engage them, you know, understand your Bible. Understand, uh, you know, where they're coming from. And we've got some great information, some great pamphlets on that, where you don't have to know a whole lot. But you can know the essential important things and how to minister to them so that you're not deceived by them. So when I let them come into my house, I wasn't giving them an opportunity to, you know, to uh, basically uh, you know, share their teaching. I, I let them in because I was going to teach them. And certainly that is the case in what's happened. So the thing is, you know, we can be his, uh, hospitable, but be very careful. Now, how does this apply to us today? Because we don't have a lot of, you know, there were no bed, you know, there were, there, homes then were bed and breakfast. There was no hotels. Uh, they would be hosting people all the time that would come through. So how should we apply this to, to ourselves today other than just what I said? Now, there may be some characters that would come to your door. And you'd look out the door and you'd not let them in. Some unsavory characters. Maybe you don't even want to go to the door. I think for you and I, today we're challenged in a little different way. I think we need to be very careful 
of the things that we let into our homes and into our hearts that come by way of electronic devices. I'm afraid that we let things into our homes and into our hearts that we would never let cross the threshold of our house. And they have a way, just because of, I think, our curiosity of allowing things to get in into our thoughts, into our hearts, into our homes, that if we could see it at the front door, we'd say, no way, it's not coming in here. May the Lord help us to implement safeguards. What do we allow to come into our home by way of a cable or a dish? And I, and I speak here as one who is guilty of this. I don't know how much exactly like you, but I've been guilty of this. May the Lord help us. You know, in the temple of old, they had doorkeepers. Guys that would stand there and say, that's not coming in here. I think God has designed a man to be like that for his home, for his family, to protect his family, to guard his family. And yet so many things can kind of slip in the back door by way of some electronic device. And I think the Lord wants us to shut that door. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't know exactly what that means for you. I know what it means for me. I've had to take some measures, and I've shared that with you from time to time. But as we close in prayer, if you would like help with this, I want you to stand up. We'll pray together. Ask the Lord to help us. Anyone else? Father, Lord, we come before you. We're your bride. We're your people. We've come to realize, Lord, that this old world is relentless in its attempts to bring down the church to defile, to defeat us, to discourage us and dissuade us in any possible way. Lord, I pray that we would be 
in an avid pursuit of truth. Lord, perhaps if we have maybe laid aside our Bibles because we've read them X number of times and we go to church and we listen to some Christian programming, Lord, those things are fine. But Lord, there's no excuse for laying aside our personal pursuit of truth. Help us, I pray, Father, if there are some things that we need to extract from our lives. Some things that we need to maybe turn off and get rid of. Lord, you tell us in your word, if even if our right hand offends us, to remove it, pluck out our eye, very violent thought. But I think what you're saying, Lord, is to have, Lord, a passion, a passion about truth, a passion about following you. We would never allow some cultists to come in and do their thing. But yet to allow certain programming, certain things to come into our lives. And to think, Lord, that they, these things would have no effect on us, but they do. So, Lord, we look to you. We're looking to you for the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we realize in some of these areas, it's so easy to give in. Lord, we need your power. We need the strength of, the, of an empowered will to yield ourselves, And when we find ourselves being tempted in any way, Lord, to cry out to you immediately in prayer. So we do that today, Lord. We realize, Lord, how much in all these things that we need you. That you're a God who's near and at hand. A God who's ready and so willing to help us. And Lord, by faith, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you bless your people. Strengthen us with your might in the inner person. In Jesus' precious name, amen.